Hi, this is Pastor Scott Stroud, and I'd like to thank you for joining us online today as you're watching this sermon series. I know that COVID has had a big impact on the church, and many people have been viewing from home uh, for three years now. And so, if you're one of those, thank you for coming and interacting with us online. But I would also like to extend a personal invitation to come and check us out here at Elam. And we know that fellowship is very important. According to the Bible, we should not uh, give up meeting together as some are in the habit of doing. And as you're thinking about, can you come now and, and venture out and join us uh, in, in person, uh, we would like to invite you and welcome you into the fellowship aspect of our worship time. Hope to see you soon on some Sunday at 10 a.m. series uh, on the Gospels, and we are looking at the life of Jesus, learning to uh, know him better, getting to know the, the sayings and the things that he talked about. And in our passage today, which is the third section of the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus tells the crowd that have gathered around him that they are to judge not, that they not be judged. And this seems like a very clear and overarching statement. However, in 1 Corinthians 6, 2 through 3, Paul tells us that we will judge the world and even angels. Is he ignoring the teaching of Jesus here? Well, obviously not, because in Romans 14, 13, he warns the brothers to not pass judgment on one another. In the very next verse, he says, Who are you to judge someone else's servant? But then we see in other places, like 2 Thessalonians 3, 6, where he warns us to stay away from idle brothers. Now, isn't calling somebody an idle brother passing some kind of judgment over them? To make things even more confusing, the apostle tells us to judge and not judge in the very same verse. Listen to 1 Corinthians 5.12. For what have I to do with judging outsiders? Is it not those who are inside the church whom you are to judge? And so in comparing these passages, I thought to myself, oh, there must be a different Greek word that, that's used in each of these verses. Nope, they're all based on the same root. And this shows us that at certain times we judge, and at other times we withhold judgment. And so today's message is going to be dealing with that very question. And this topic is very important to us because Jesus tells us in verse 2 here, that with the judgment we pronounce, God will judge us. And so who here is excited about being judged by God more unmercifully than because we've uh, judged others wrongly? But first I think as we move forward here, it would be helpful to use an analogy in regard to judging. Now I'm going to tell you up front here that this analogy will be very controversial to some of you. And you may not even agree with the connection that I make here, but please try to work with me here. I think you'll see it at the end. The analogy is to say that judging is similar to taking a life. First, listen to some of the words that are used to define uh, this Greek word that we translate as to judge. To decide, condemn, punish, avenge, damn, decree, or determine. And so when we take a life, we are essentially making a judgment 
on a grand scale about that person who is standing in front of us. In a more minor way, when we make judgments about people, which we do every day, sometimes those judgments are taking something away from an individual. Their reputation, their peace, whatever it might be. And so we're going to look at these two different areas. Prohibited judgments, and then judgments that we are encouraged to make. And so first, prohibited judgments. God has commanded that we not murder And so as we think about those things that might cause one human to murder another, we can make a similar comparison to judging in a prohibited way. First, someone might murder another person in anger. That man or woman did something that we didn't like. And so we made a determination that we're going to rid them from the planet. And so when we judge another person, we may have hatred in our heart towards them. We don't like something that they did. We don't like something about them. We put them in the category of worthless, that is, worth less than the time they deserve as a fellow child of God. And this kind of hatred comes in many forms. And notice that Jesus tells us it's compared with a piece of wood in your eye, a splinter. And we think about our brother that has this splinter in our eye, that is not allowing them to see the world the way that we see it. And so we're going to go and we're going to remove that splinter out of their eye so that they can see the world like we see it, clearly, right? But all the while, we don't realize that we have a log in our own eye. Back when I lived in Wisconsin, my family, we cut wood for uh, part of our supplemental income. And many times I'd be carrying wood back to the trailer, and sometimes I'd load too many uh, pieces of wood in my arms. And a lot of times I would stumble over a root or a branch or some uneven piece of ground because it was blocking my view. And how ridiculous it would be if my brother had gotten a little speck of sawdust in his eye, and I'm walking up, hey, I'll help you, and I've got this pile of logs in front of my eyes. Can't see where I'm going. And so just as we are prohibited by God to kill out of hatred, so too we are prohibited to condemn the shortcomings in others. Do you know where we are tested in this the most? Our family life. Families are notorious for this kind of judgment. All those little irritations of living in close proximity with your spouse or your children will expose this impatience more than anything I can think of. And what Jesus is saying here is that we are very quick to point out the flaws in others while we remain uh, oblivious to our own glaring flaws. And so the next time you find yourself muttering to yourself or others, oh, wow, I hate that person, or I hate this thing that they do, or whatever it might be, that's a time to take a little bit of self-reflection. Are there things that are blocking my view, even more so than this person, before I go to them and try to fix their problem? Maybe there's something that I need to fix in me. The second thing we see is that is prohibited in regard to judgments um, are jealous judgments. This is another cause of murder, jealousy. Perhaps your neighbor has a bigger house or a prettier wife or a bigger pile of stuff than you. And so instead of being content with what you have, you decide you're going to try to take that by force and take their life in the process. They obviously don't deserve it like you deserve it. 
And James 4.2 sheds light on this phenomena. You decide, or you desire, but you do not have, so you kill. You covet, but you cannot get what you want, so you quarrel and fight. You do not have because you do not ask God. And so we may go as far as taking the life of a neighbor. But we also, many times, will judge a neighbor. Jeremiah struggled with this very issue. He asked this question in Jeremiah 12.1. Why has the way of the wicked prospered? Why are all those who, uh, why are all those who deal in treachery at ease? And King David even goes a step farther in Psalm 73.3 where he admits, I envied the arrogant when I saw the prosperity of the wicked. Have you ever been jealous of a non-Christian? I have. Sometimes we can grow weary in doing the right things, trying to make the right decisions, resisting sin. And we may even think, I wish I could go out and just sin like everybody else and not have a guilty conscience about it, right? In that moment, we are judging that the ignorance of the world is better than the forgiveness of Christ. But as Paul says in 1 Corinthians 5.12, we are not to judge those in the world in regard to their freedom or their bondage. And this is why it's a complete waste of time to try to convince unbelievers that they should quit sinning. To try to tell your homosexual neighbor that what she or he is doing is wrong is the same effect as grabbing a pit bull by the ears. The Holy Spirit has not given them the ability to follow God. And so trying to pressure them into being righteous for its own sake would only make them a better humanist. The relationship that we have with the world is that of living spiritual people to dead spiritual people. And so we can't expect the dead to live like the living until they are empowered by the Holy Spirit and brought to life and then now have the Spirit to guide and lead them in those situations. The next thing we see is hypocritical judgments. One of the strangest reasons that people murder their fellow man is because they see something in them that reminds them of the flaws that they have in themselves. An example of this is Adolf Hitler. Some studies seem to indicate that he was the son of an illegitimate father of possible Jewish descent. He was so worried about this that at one point he wrote into Nazi law that defined Jewishness that he and Jesus Christ were exempt from that law. Some believe that his own possible Jewish heritage was at the root of his hatred and mass murder of the European Jews during World War II. In Romans 2, Paul warns against judging hypocritically. He says in verse 3, Do you suppose, O man, you who judge those who practice such things, and yet do them yourselves, that you will escape the judgment of God? When I was in seminary, one of the professors warned us and said, never preach anything that you are not willing to examine and change in your own life. Again, this is another example of how we are willing to overlook or minimize our own shortcomings and then harshly pass judgment on someone else. 
And as I consider hypocritical judgment, it occurred to me that many of us maybe want to stop doing those things. We see a certain sin and we hate it so much because we're struggling and it's overcoming us or we're returning to it time and time again. And so we turn on others that are struggling with the same thing and we judge them more harshly. God shows us mercy and we turn on others and are unmerciful toward them. In fact, sometimes the Lord allows us actually to struggle with a particular sin for the very reason that he wants us to be able to see it in others and to pray for them and to help them through those same things, not to judge them, not to turn on them. Now, if you don't think that this whole murder analogy fits, listen to what Jesus said in Matthew 5, 21 through 22. He said, you have heard that it was said of old, you shall not murder and whoever murders will be liable of judgment. But I say to you that anyone who is angry with his brother will be liable to judgment. Whoever insults his brother will be liable to the council, and whoever says, you fool, will be in danger of the fire of hell. And so as we take into account the whole of Scripture, we see that the prohibition on judgment is limited just as the prohibition on killing is limited. And that brings us to encouraged judgments. There are judgments that we are to make. First is in regard to judging the church. Let me ask you a question. At what point would a Christian be allowed to kill another human being? Well, the first place would be as a representative of the government. Perhaps you have a son or daughter that's going into law enforcement. And as a police officer, it's imperative that he or she has the power to take another person's life in order that they might keep society safe. Paul talks about this in Romans 13.4. He says, For the one in authority is God's servant for your good. But if you do wrong, be afraid. For rulers do not bear the sword for no reason. They are God's servants, agents of wrath to bring punishment on the wrongdoer. Swords are for killing. They're not decorative. They're instruments of God's wrath. In law enforcement, officers make judgments every day about how much force is needed for a particular situation. And in regard to judgment, at what point is the Christian allowed to make judgments? Well, the most obvious place is if they were a court judge, right? That's their job, to make judgments, right? But going beyond that, we are also called to make judgments within the church. In fact, Paul chastises the church in Corinth because they were taking their legal matters in front of unbelievers. He says, is there really no one among you wise enough to arbitrate, make a judgment, between his brothers? He goes on to say that it would be better to have the lowest person in your church, the most unwise person, Decide your case rather than go to law over it. And why is that? Why would it be more beneficial? Well, first, it's a shame to the unbelieving world. Secondly, they have the Holy Spirit to help them to make the judgment. And so, in the church, we are also to make judgments regarding doctrine, as if if it's true or not. One church that was doing an exceptional job of this is highlighted in Scripture. 
We see this in Acts 17.11 where it says the Bereans were very willing to receive God's message and every day they carefully examined the scriptures to see what Paul was saying, whether it was true or not. And so all of you sitting here listening today to me, you have the challenge, you have the responsibility to make a judgment to make a judgment about whether what I'm saying is true doctrinally. Don't just believe it because I went to seminary. Don't just believe it because I'm a theologian. Don't just believe it because I'm your pastor. Believe it because it says it in the Bible. And if it doesn't, come to me. And if I don't listen, go to the elders. That's your responsibility as you sit here to make a judgment about these things. The next thing that we see is that we are to judge sin. In Romans 8, Paul tells us to put sin to death. And there's that language again about killing, right? There are many instances in the church, in Acts, where sin is exposed. Peter confronts Ananias and Sapphira because they brought a particular amount of money. Notice they're giving, right? But they lied about it. They said they sold a field and it was this much money. Well, they held some of the money back. And so in that instance, Peter, by the Holy Spirit, knows this and says, how could you test the Holy Spirit and makes a judgment about them in front of the church? And then notice what the Holy Spirit does. The Holy Spirit kills them both, right? In another instance, Paul confronts Peter one of the main leaders of the church. In fact, Paul wasn't even part of the 12. And he's confronting Peter because Peter was hypocritical. He was drawing away from the Gentiles and eating only with the Jews. And so Paul stands up in front of everybody and and makes a judgment about him. One man is even thrown out of the church because of sexual sin. He was having sex with his father's new wife his mother-in-law. And so the church threw him out. And all of these judgments are made in order to carry forth church discipline. But remember that the purpose is always restoration. When we make judgments within the church, we are trying to bring people back around to the truth, to repentance, so they come back in and join us again. Not so we can just be rid of them again, right? Next, we see that we are judging evil. One of the most interesting verses in the Bible to me regarding judgment is 1 Corinthians 6, 2 through 3. It says, Do you not know that the saints will judge the world? Do you not know that we are to judge angels? Jesus talked about this very thing in Matthew 19, 28, where he said, Truly I say to you, in the new world, in heaven, when the Son of Man will sit on his glorious throne, You who have followed me will also sit on 12 thrones, judging the 12 tribes of Israel. And so it seems that when the world is judged, instead of being defendants, we are on the side of the prosecution, making judgments about angels and world leaders. The punishment for those who are condemned in the final judgment is that they will be cast into the lake of fire forever. You talk about a serious judgment. You talk about a judgment with certain consequences here. But evil will be cleansed from the heavenly kingdom. And finally, wrapping up, let's 
close with a little exercise here. A situation is before us. Someone is standing there that we don't agree with. Are we to condemn them, damn them, or determine their standing with God in that moment? And there's an easy test that we can ask ourselves if we're going to make a judgment of, as an individual, or are we going to make this as an extension of God? That's the test. If you're doing it as an individual because of your own opinion, that's when you withhold your judgment. If you're doing it as an extension of God, whether it's the government or the church or the end times tribunal, then you make the judgment. But we recognize, too, in the midst of all of this, all of these things are for love. God doesn't like to make judgment upon the world. It grieves his heart. And it should grieve our hearts. When we see those situations before us, we should be back crying over these things that we have to decide. Not excited about them. And so as we, as a church, think about judgment, think about church discipline, it's a necessary aspect of living with flawed human beings. But also in the midst of that, remembering that we too are flawed and that we too, if truth be told, have judgments that need to come against us as well, that tempers those things for us. Let's pray. Father God, we see a lot about judgment in the Bible. And Lord, we see the world around us saying, judge not lest you be judged. And Lord, I pray that you would give us wisdom. Help us to understand when to make judgments and to when, when to withhold those judgments. And even if we need to make a judgment, that we do so in love of you and love of the creatures that you've created. And I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for tuning in to this sermon series from Elam. If you are encouraged today, would you consider supporting our online ministry through a financial contribution? Personal checks can be made out to Elam Lutheran Church and sent to 11504 26th Street Northeast, Lake Stevens, Washington, 98258. Or you can give online at elamlutheran.net. Thank you and may God bless you the rest of your day.